Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 48 of the North Meet South web podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful episode of the North Meets South podcast. Very much appreciate taking a little bit of time out of your very busy week to visit with us and catch up on what's going on in our lives and in the worlds of technology that we're living in currently. As you may be able to tell from my very odd introduction, (laughs) I'm still waking up. Mm. I just woke up a couple minutes ago here and uh it's about 11 o'clock and i'm having a couple handfuls of cereal trying to get myself awake <laughs> yep, yep, yep. so we can get started on this bad boy so yeah, yeah. it was one of those things i was like i was i woke up I was like oh crap hey at least you it's woke Saturday up you night. could have slept all the way through i know i know it wouldn't be surprising either that would, that would actually probably be the more typical response so it certainly wouldn't I'm be the first i'm time. awake <laughs> it would not it would certainly not so what's going on with you, my friend? Well, uh, I have, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, I have damaged my only remaining good knee. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, it, the, I went and saw the doctor on Friday and he has described it as a possible acute medial meniscal tear, which basically means the, so the meniscus is good. like the, the cartilage or the springy stuff between the joints of the knee. Which is supposed to sure. act as a shock absorber, but an acute injury means that under stress or under pressure for, and, and in my case, turning, like twisting and jumping while playing basketball, the shock absorber gave way and tore. And uh, I've been on, on crutches this week. I had to spend a couple of days working from home because it was easier than, I mean, I could drive. I don't, I don't have a, a manual or a stick shift as you Americans call it. <laughs> Uh, so I was I was able to drive, but uh, it was just easier to to work from home, which was nice because I got a bit done. I got to spend a bit more time with Eli, which was nice. You know, gave Ree a bit of a break as well in terms of I could pick him up when he started crying, so that she could get his bottle ready or or, or whatever else that needed to be done. So I I had a small taste of that remote life for yeah. the two days that I was working from home, which was which was nice, but. Um, yeah, sadly, this this brings an end to my not so stellar basketball career. Oh man, um, I I You're injured. As I said, I'm I'm out of good knees. Yeah, as I said, I'm out of good knees. So when I injured my right knee back in 2011, I said to Re, if if I was to injure my knee again, or if I was to have any other sort of serious injury, and like this is not what you would call a serious injury. That's like it's not a broken leg or anything like that. But in terms of social sport, I said I would I would I promised that I would stop. And I'm I'm quite disappointed because I really do enjoy playing. Yeah, um, I know you play quite yeah, a bit every week. Yeah, it's not not worth it anymore, especially with Eli. I want to be able to move around and, right. and chase after him as he grows up. Right, so, right. You know, putting putting my health and my family first in in this instance. So it's kept me out of the gym this week as well, which has been a bit annoying. You you'd think you know I can still work on upper body, but. I don't think it would look quite right if I was on crutches, like moving from machine yeah, to machine right. in the gym and <laughs> and bench to bench right. and, and you know hobbling around in there. So you just need to like strap some uh, some like ankle weights to the to the crutches themselves and just walk around with your yeah, crutches. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So yeah, I had to 
had to take a few days off from that. So I'm hoping to get back in the gym tomorrow um, just to just to keep the upper body stuff going. As as anyone who who's injured themselves would would probably attest, you get a bit down on yourself. And so my diet kind of went out the window this week as well. So I was eating potato chips and having uh, you know some takeout and whatever and sympathy, you know, yeah, sympathy so, food, yeah, right? You're just gonna feel bad for yourself a little, yeah. right? Yeah, and then you know I felt awful most of all for you know Ray because it yeah. meant that I I couldn't like because I can't really. Or, you know, we thought from a safety perspective in case my knee buckles or whatever yep. that I should probably not walk around with Eli or right. anything like that. So we've both been up, you know, with him and, and that at the same time. So luckily for us, though, he uh, he's starting to sleep quite a bit longer. Um, he goes to bed at 9 o'clock and kind of sleeps for five, six hours at a time now. And then he'll only wake up once for a feed and a settle. And then I got out of the house, you know, 7 o'clock, 7.30 without much fuss the the two days at the end of the week that I was back in the office. So it's it's kind of exciting. He's, yeah, he's not sleeping as much, as much during the day for. now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like six hours in one go is great. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, um, I'd say that's, uh, you know, that's like reality for us right now. Yeah. So, I mean. Well, I mean, they. I think the, 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 the spec or whatever it is, I don't know what you call it, but five hours is what they consider to be sleeping through. Um, so, you know, nice. if he's doing yeah. nine till three is, is pretty good and then he gets up for 15 minutes just for a little top up and then and then sleeps for another two and a half hours or so, which is which is nice. He slept on re yesterday afternoon on the couch for three hours and she couldn't wake him. Like she was tickling his back <laughs> and playing with his feet and he'd be like, yeah. like grumble at her and then just go straight back to sleep. So... That's hilarious. But um, yeah, he's he's doing really well, um, which is good. And and yeah, being able to sleep, it was it was actually good. I mean, as as much as good timing for an injury is, it was it was pretty good timing because he was actually kind of, you know, really easy on us with it. So that was nice. Yeah, that is that is. It would have been miserable to have a really bad, you know, to be be on crutches and then have a horrible sleeping week. That that'd be no fun. Hey, I was going yeah. to. Um, I was going to ask you when the press conference is uh, scheduled for then for the for your announcement for the uh, official retirement yeah. announcement. Yeah. yeah. Well, most of my teammates have been all you know. I know we've got because it's a it's a public holiday tomorrow, so I've got no game. And they say you know you can have a week off and then we'll see you back out the week after. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is no, it. I'm like done, they, guys. They, they don't think I'm being serious. I'm like I'm done. That's that's it. Which is nice because I'll get you know Mondays and Tuesdays back sure. to to do other things you know hang out with Eli and chess club put in a bit of time yeah chess club <laughs> um, I mean re-joke that I should take up lawn bowls but the radiologist at the emergency room on on Monday night suggested that you know even that's probably a little bit dangerous you might turn the wrong way those balls get a bit heavy so you know it was good so it I've got an MRI old, scheduled Sucks yeah, getting old. No I've fun. got an MRI scheduled for Wednesday, so hopefully there's there's nothing too bad. Um, I was doing some reading about it, and depending on on where it is, um, there's like the outer the outer section of the meniscus, which still got blood in it, so it generally heals by itself. But where the doctor suspects my injury is is on the on the inside where there is no blood flow. So what they do is they try and stitch it back together with a like arthroscopic surgery, and you know, there's if they because they, they don't want to cut out whatever's torn because they can increase your risk of osteoarthritis in older age. So, fingers crossed, they can stitch it back together like they did my other my other knee. Yeah, so. man, no joke. Jeez, <sighs> sorry to hear that, bro. That that sucks. I I remember getting the picture, and being like, oh no, what in the world? 
Um, yeah. It sounds. Like, I was hoping like, oh, maybe it's just like a sprain or something, but it looked like he didn't. You weren't. You weren't so lucky. So yeah. yeah I no mean, fun. just can't can't be a white knot. Sure. Sure. You know, it is what it is. All right. Well, let's see. Um, well, I, I wanted to say this real quick. So we cut down a tree today. That was kind of fun. Got to cut down a tree. Cut today. down a tree. Cut down a tree in your own yard. In my own yard. Yep. So and you made sure it fell away from the house. I did not, or at least onto your neighbor's house. The guy house, so who talk. I brought over to help me with it did, uh, who happened okay. to be my very own boss, Jordan Brill. Do you remember Jordan from Larkin? Ah, you remember Jordan? I do. Yeah, yeah. He's Mister like Jack of all trades. You know that dude. He's done pretty much everything once or for a while, <laughs> and so you know. Yeah. Hey, dude, you got a chainsaw? Yeah, I got a chainsaw. Hey, you ever cut down trees before? Oh, yeah, I cut down trees all that. Really? Okay, all right. Yeah, so so he came over and, and um, we hooked up like a toe strap because it was like going to fall on like my neighbor's house, right? You know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah we you just don't want that. Yeah, exactly. So we just hooked it up and he just like, honestly, we had this tree cut down and dragged to the curb, I think in like 45 minutes. It was insane. Nice. Yeah. He's, he's so a, it wasn't a very big tree? No, it wasn't that big. No, it wasn't that big. It was dying. Yeah, okay. It was an old nasty tree. So it was dying. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so anyway, that was kind of fun today. But um, nice. anyway. Yeah, it's it's funny those things. Like my dad, he he loves to buy himself a piece of power equipment. Like if he has to do anything once, then like, like yeah. he had to chop down a tree once. <laughs> so like, he's got a chainsaw the and then he got chainsaw. one of those. Yeah. Yeah. He got one of those telescopic ones and then he oh, had yeah, to, yeah, those you know, nice. he cut the tree down. So then he had to mulch it. So then he went and bought himself one of those like <laughs> tree mulches. Oh, yeah. He's just got all this equipment. I have a friend who's like that too. He always says to his wife, like, we can either hire it done or I get to buy the tools to do it right the first time. Like, I'm not going to do it without the tools kind of thing. So anyway, he ends up with a ton of tools too. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, okay. I've got a couple things that I kind of have on the docket that I could talk about this week. And then, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know what your timeline looks like for for today. Like what, uh, how you are on time. Everybody's sleeping here, so it doesn't really matter for me, but... Yeah, I'll just try and keep it reasonably tight. Cool, sounds good. All right, so I thought there was a couple things. Uh, we have the the PHP drama uh, that you were a part of, uh, which we can talk about. <laughs> that, that I started. That you started. <laughs> uh, we have finite state machines, which I know we've talked about before, but I just read a really... like I'm actually still in the middle of reading this slide deck it's really, really good talking about the finite mm-hmm. state machines uh, in Vue and React. And then uh, the other one I wanted to talk about, since Spassi is a sponsor for us, actually, is BladeX. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to take a look at that. I did see the, the tweets going on about that. Looks that looks really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I figured we might be able to talk about those sort of three things. You want to add anything to the mix? No, I think you'll get me in enough trouble with the PHP drama. And- cool. And then we can let's start steer with the, away from yeah. that as quickly as possible. Let's start with the PHP drama then. So let's talk about this. So since it's uh, kind of your deal here, why don't you introduce this one? So I think, uh, is it Dries? Is it Dries? How do you say his name? Vince? I think it's pronounced Dries, yeah. Dries Vince? Yeah. He kind of started out replying to Adam, I think, on uh, on a thread here. But anyway, yeah. Introduce, introduce us to the issue and what's going on. Yeah. So there was uh, an RFC that was more or less unanimously approved uh, for PHP. So PHP has a, a request for comment process in order to get new features added to the language. And the and the latest one that came through and that has been approved in a 71 to 1 vote was for 
typed properties, I think it mm-hmm. was. Let me yeah. let me double check. I on think that. that's right. I've gotten so upset about it. <laughs> yeah, typed properties was was accepted pending implementation. So it'll probably go into PHP seven point four. And this is basically building on the the introduction of scalar types and return types in PHP seven. And a lot of it look, don't get me wrong, the, the internals team does does and has done a lot of great things for PHP as a language. Let me start with that. You know, we've we've seen the the improvement in speed in new features coming into the language and for that, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because it's kept me from running off to other languages in the past. And what the the type properties is allowing you to do is to basically specify the scalar type. So where you would have like a previously where you might have had a private dollar ID and then you would set those values either via a public method or via a constructor and then you would restrict access to those those properties because they're private so you sure, wouldn't be able right, to, right. to listen or to to call the name variable on a user object for example without using the get name method yeah. so with with the type properties it allows you to uh, type them as as public and then you know, it gives you the ability to access those properties without having to worry about all of this boilerplate to to yeah. make sure that like you set an, in, an an ID as an integer value. Right. 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 So yeah. Yep. You explained that perfectly. Yep. So, but this this gives you the ability to support more runtime enforced annotations for properties. For example, you could specify scalar types. You could specify that they're classes or that they're nullable. You know, properties that they're. Uh, it works on statics as well and all that kind of stuff. People say that, you know, PHP is introducing those features and that it's they're all optional. Like you don't have to use typing if you don't want to. The problem with that is that all of the, the upstream packages are where these things are going to, in my opinion, this is where they'll start to set in. You know, something like a Symfony component would introduce it. And if you wanted to extend it, you'd have to use that in your own code. You know, PHP unit would probably be another really popular one that will adopt it and already has started adopting it. And it's it's kind of, you know, we, we've heard this argument about sharp knives and, you know, letting people play with the knives and, and learning, you know, if they cut themselves, they cut themselves. There's all this like hand waving about, oh, you know, type safety and how do I know that someone's going to pass an integer into my ID field? Well... I mean, we've survived long enough without it. PHP is kind of changing from, you know, real dynamic language that you could do lots of crazy things with. You know, we've, we've maintained backwards compatibility for so long because of things like WordPress and, and so on that it, it's a very delicate balance. And like WordPress will probably stay around and maybe it just won't ever support newer versions of PHP or it'll be a long time before it does. I've, I've said in the past that I don't really see the value of this stuff because in a language like PHP where everything is interpreted at runtime, it doesn't really give you that much safety because you still have to run the code in order for it to blow up and it can still blow up in production. Whereas if you're compiling it, well, the, then in a compiled language, the code would never even compile. And then people go into you know the arguments like static analysis. It makes it easier to to run static analysis tools over your code. It makes things easier for your IDE. So I mean, and and the, and the fun argument that I had this week as well was you know how do I know if I can pass an integer into the find method of a model? I'm like or, or of a, of a class. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter because PHP is just going to make it an integer anyway and he goes oh but you know giving it a type hint removes all of that you know you don't have to put all those checks in there to make sure that they did pass an integer in and and all the kind of 
like weird stuff that doesn't really apply to PHP. Like I totally get it in something like Java, which is a strongly typed language, or if you're doing it in C or C, C++ or whatever, you know, what are the languages that, that are strongly typed, that they're compiled, that these things would actually get picked up earlier on. Whereas I, I and a, you know, a few others, I guess, in the community probably lean more towards having tests and making sure that your tests validate these use cases because there's nothing that says that just because you passed an integer into the find method it's going to return you know that it's actually going to find some thing based on that id you know so sure. yeah yeah right i don't think do you think anybody's advocating right i mean and this is a contrived example right what you're what you're talking about with the integer and stuff but like i don't know that anybody on the other side is really advocating like lack of tests or less tests right and for me honestly like i i feel like i really want to be on this side of the ball where you guys are at where it's like you know like dynamic language and all that stuff and it is and that's that's great and that's fine but i just like i i feel like i'm having a hard time really making an argument for like why it's bad and like i get what you're saying like it's optional slash not optional once things starts coming in so like let's just talk about php unit for a second right so let's say they type in something well, so then what? So like, you know, so they use that. So, so what you're saying, like, if I want to extend something, then I have to use what, like a PHP unit contract instead of just passing in a plain class or something that I might yeah, construct yeah. or build up. I mean, uh, it's not, it's not good versus bad. It's just, you're shifting where you might get your errors mm-hmm. in, in the context of PHP because you still have to run the code in in the interpreter so you still have to run it in the browser on the command line or whatever right right in order for these errors to come up and and i guess that's you know it doesn't make sense to me in a dynamic language got it Uh, you know it's not because you're saying if you don't have a test if you don't have a test to hit it anyway there's no way you're going to know that it's going to blow up in production unless you have a test covering it anyway and what you're saying is if you have a test covering it anyway why do you need the type in Right? That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, that makes sense. Let me say it one more time out loud for myself because I just need to hear it. Like, okay, so essentially you're saying it's a dynamic language. It's not compiled. So what what's going to actually cause an error is going to be when that language or when that piece of code there is run. If your test never runs it, even if you have a type, it's never going to blow up in your tests. So you're not going to know until it's in production anyway, right? Yeah. And so the argument yeah. then is if you have to have a test to do it anyway, why don't you just trust the test instead of trusting a, a, like a typing system in PHP? It's unnecessary. That's what you're saying. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And and like people will use it. And I look in my packages, I use types and I put doc blocks in because other people are using the code. Right. But in in my own applications and, and in things that, that we use internally, then you know, I, I don't necessarily because everyone everyone is already across that code base. But anything that I'm sharing, then I make it as you know as i guess progressive as possible in terms of adding these features in because you know people ask for the doc blocks and it makes it easy to discover so i'm not saying i I will refuse to use them i just i don't think they provide as much value as what people said you know tend to suggest that they will in in the context of php sure okay so let's talk about kind of like the, the first argument now makes sense to me about that. The second one that I kind of saw, which was, was, it was interesting, was basically saying if you change the type hint 
on anything, it's essentially a breaking change, right? So it yeah. really like yeah. makes your code, I suppose, possibly, possibly much more brittle in that sense, right? If you if you need to change if you need to change something as simple as a a type hint, it can it can cause all sorts of problems, and so it really makes your code less um, flexible to future changes, yeah. I suppose, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, at that point, you would probably do it as a as a breaking change as in a major release. Sure. Because, I mean, I'm sure all of the people that that are using these, you know, stricter constructs in their in their language would probably be adhering to some kind of semantic versioning scheme. Yeah, yeah. I, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It would be interesting to say in in the longer term how this affects like Laravel itself because it does lean a lot on um, reflection in yes, PHP and correct, being able right. to look into what was passed into a function and doing things based on that. And I wonder... I mean, I'm not in a position to comment specifically, but I wonder if that will impact the flexibility that reflection gives us, particularly if like some of the, the Laravel components that extend directly from Symfony, if that's going to make things less trivial to implement in the Laravel level because Symfony may introduce some type hints. So as I said, I don't know what the impact of that would be. Um, it, it might be nothing, but certainly the reflection capabilities that laravel uses quite extensively may be impacted so it'd be interesting to see how things go you know moving forward yeah and i think so it sounds too like if this was truly optional like if it was truly like take it or leave it guys don't worry about it no big deal like do what you want with it then it'd be more like "Hmm, okay well i mean it's just an optional feature but your fear is that as this gets implemented it's going to become more and more a necessity based on the fact that we're using so many pieces from other libraries and frameworks and whatever that is no longer going to become an optional piece just because the you know the vote itself being what was it 71 to 72 71 to 1 71 oh yeah sorry 71 to 1 yeah. uh basically advocating for this as the you know as as needing to be a part of PHP so um, hmm. I guess I guess that's what what you're really saying is like I I fear for the future of PHP and what this means more than like well it's an optional piece and, and and there you go no problem it's more like because this is now in there I feel like this is going to affect those of us who don't want to use them in the future it's going to become a necessity yeah got it because you sure. know Symphony four might not affect but Symphony whatever the version i think they're on version three now so say symphony four maybe it doesn't affect it too much but symphony five they may start doing it does that mean that you know if i don't want to use those features that i'm stuck on symphony four indefinitely and eventually symphony four is not going to be supported anymore it won't get security updates and things like that so look i'm sure over time my mind will change and i'll just start using them anyway but <laughs> for now like and it's not even fear i think it's just seeing something and going there are other things that that we could have that that we don't have. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, improved improved syntax of things as opposed to sweeping changes to you know the underlying language itself. Sure. So you know, as I said at, at the start of this piece, there's there's been a lot of improvements to the language. We've made it faster. We've made it more stable. We've you know we've Im- improved the development cycle of it, and and the release cycle and things like that. These are all great things that that are you know they're not. They're improving the language, but they're not changing it. Whereas this feels to me like an actual change to the language. Okay. 
Yep. So fair enough. But and and Amanda Folson raised a good point in that PHP used to be a templating language, and now we have templating frameworks Packages and tools for... on top of PHP. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. As I said, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It just feels like maybe I, I know that like David Hemphill, Adam Wathen. I don't know if Taylor specifically has weighed in on this, but those guys are both really more on like the side of things that would say, no, let's keep it a dynamic language, get rid of these types and this strictness. And I think kind of if you have Ruby on one end and you have Java on the other end, it would seem like PHP is trending more towards that Java sort of side of things and less towards yeah. the Ruby side of things, right? Which is, I think, what's yeah. worrisome or bothersome to the, some of these people who are on who are on the side of the fence yeah, that would I say think that's, they that's, don't that's really... That's probably the long and short of it, yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I've kind of like, don't... I have a dog in this fight, certainly, because I use PHP every day, but I'm just kind of waiting to see how things shake out. We'll see. Yeah. There's that. All right, let's move on before I get in any more trouble. Let's do it. All right, so let's talk about Blade X real quick. So Spassi has released this new package called Laravel Blade X. What this does is it provides an easy way to render custom HTML components in your Blade views. Uh, so one of the really nice things that you know React and view give you is the ability to create a little component and then be able to embed that in your app using a tag similar to like how you would with an h1 right you just have like so in html you just type h1 and then in the you know in between the tags you type my title or whatever and then it renders out specifically based on like that tag um, well of yeah. course uh, we have these custom html components that we will oftentimes have like registration form or maybe more generically location picker right which is like wrapping up algolia api interaction and how you want to display that to a user with a drop down and all that stuff right so that gives you view and react give you the ability to do those things well so what this does is allows you to do similar sort of things with blade uh, previously what we've had in in blade is components uh, where we can mm -hmm. either uh, include a a blade view and then pass in to that blade view some variables that we want to set and then inside that blade view, then we can utilize or grab those variables and, and uh, utilize them inside that view. And so what this does is it kind of puts some syntactic sugar, if you will, uh, on top of that layer so that you can embed these things similar to how you would if you're using Vue or React. So you can say my alert, and then you can pass in a couple parameters into that tag, and then it essentially will, will do the work of passing those variables into a specified blade template for you so it really just it feels a little bit nicer and feels a little bit more like it would if you're using a, a javascript sort of component uh, based thing but allows you to just stay straight in blade so that's pretty cool um yeah. if that makes sense did i do a good job explaining that did yeah. i miss anything yeah no i think you, i think you did pretty well ultimately what happens is this will take your your html attribute syntax and it will convert it into a native blade at component and pass all of your variables and parameters into that so you don't even have to worry about this blade x functionality conflicting with your view components which which do the same kind of thing right so that does it at runtime in the browser whereas this will do it server side and it will, it will give you the the potential to obviously cache those views as well yeah so like one of the things that i was looking at this and i was like okay that's really interesting and it is it's a it's a pretty cool win on top of the blade layer that uh, we already love and enjoy. Obviously, some of the things that the JavaScript portion of this usually provide for you, it, the two things that I really like, 
right, is number one, like the styling that goes along with the component is embedded directly in the component file itself, right? So like we don't really have that uh, with this, of course. I mean, this isn't meant to do that, but something that I was like, hmm, that would be nice if you were able to do that. And the other thing that I thought would be interesting too is, uh, and with a component, obviously, is you have a lot of the logic kind of bound up inside the component itself, obviously inside the script portion of a uh, view single file template. And this is kind of devoid of that, right? You don't have any information or any structure around how you're retrieving uh, the data that needs to populate this component in the case that you needed to do that. You still have to have a controller passing the data that you might need to render these specific things. So that may be, uh, I mean, just depending on how you kind of structure your blade views and stuff like that, it might, it might not be a problem. It might not be a problem at all. But yeah. Those are just two kind of things that I was like, huh, that would be interesting if you could do that somehow. So one of the things that actually we've talked about previously on Laravel News before is this idea of, what do they call it? View composers, uh, but he didn't call them that. What did they call them? View models. View model, yeah, no, not that. No? It was basically the idea of instead of using a view composer, which you know you bind in your app service provider, and when a view gets rendered, then oh, it goes and fetches the data yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from wherever in your application. The problem with those being that it's really hard to figure out where that data is coming from because it's not immediately obvious that you have a view composer being used. Mm -hmm. I think he called, well, them, view called them view components. Yeah, he called them view components. That's what he called them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so essentially what he did is he had a class that extended the HTMLable trait or implemented the trait and then rendered itself onto the page and, and then did all the providing of the data from inside there. So I was thinking if you had some sort of like marriage between this Blade X idea and these view components that was uh, that was kind of um, thrown around by and who was it that did that? Uh, was it the view components? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. I think it was maybe Alex. No, or was see. it Brent? No, Sebastian. I don't think it was. I think it was o uh, Jeff Ocha. Oh, he wrote the original blog post. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Sparsi took that and and made a package for it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, that was the idea behind that, though, is this this uh, the idea that you could provide all the data for it. Anyway, uh, just just some thoughts there, kind of around how you could even improve it a little bit more, or uh, depending on kind of your um, your frame of reference, kind of where you're coming from when you're looking at this. So, like when I'm looking at this, my immediate thought is like, "Ooh, how could I make it so that I could do this sort of server side rendered sort of stuff without having to introduce Vue.js for maybe some of my more simple yeah. ones, where I'm just kind of hoping to package up." some of the HTML and some of the data or, or some, you know, some of the behavior around how I want to, how I want to retrieve, retrieve those pieces of information uh, that's going mm -hmm. to be rendered in there. So anyway, just a thought, but uh, in any case, I think this is pretty cool. So it's still in development. It's, it's, you have this big warning right at the top of the page it says, do not use in production yet, but it looks pretty interesting. And I think it'll be pretty cool to use moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, if this gets to the point where it actually becomes a first party, you know, if it gets pulled into the framework or not. I think it might. I think it might. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it seems to, yeah, it would be interesting. It really doesn't offer anything else. It doesn't offer anything new, right? It's not like a new concept. It's just a new yeah. syntax that feels... The new syntax for the component stuff. Yeah, yeah, and feels really nice. It really feels nice. So I like it. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be interesting kind of as time marches on here and we have other contributors kind of pushing into this project, mm -hmm. what, it, what it could eventually become. Yep. Cool. All right. Finite state machines. So we've talked a little bit about finite state machines before. 
uh, essentially, um, you know, the problem with like, okay, so for example, like if you're fetching something and then, okay, so let's say, let me just think about this for a second here, trying to think of a good example. <laughs> let's say I need to go out to the server and I need to get a list of users that I can select from in a drop down. So I have a team and I want to select here, the, here are the users that I want to be included in this meeting that I'm setting up. So I need to go out to the server, I need to get the users. And then once I get those users, I need to be able to search through that list or whatever, right? But the first thing I need to be able to do is like select which team uh, I need the users from. So mm -hmm. here it is. We have an idle state where like I don't know what team it is yet. And then I'm going to click something. It's going to allow me to select my team. I'm then going to go out and grab the users from that team, return those. And then I need to be able to select from a new drop down one of the team members, right? So like you can already hear like in that there's quite a few different stages of state. The difficulty that is there's a lot of paths that could be forked off of uh, each one of those uh, interactions. So if, for example, the very first thing that I'm doing, clicking and selecting the team, if when I go out, it fails to find that team, I now have an error path that I need to handle. And then I need to be able to figure out how to get from that error path back to a spot where they can then select a different team or how do I recover from that error. I also have a path of, okay, now I succeed and now I have the members of a particular team. And then once I fetch those members of that particular team, I need to then be able to select one of those. And when I select that and press submit, I need to either be able to get it to the server or I need to handle the error path. And so you end up having, you know, what we do a lot of times is we'll have these, these kind of Booleans in our state that says like, is submitting false? is completed, true, is error, false, right? And then we kind of set these flags as we go along in our state to kind of control that flow. But it can get really yeah. confusing, really, really confusing, right? So what these state machines do is essentially allow you to define upfront here are the different states that it may be in. So it may be in idle, it may be, may be in loading, maybe in error, or maybe in like success. Uh, and then allows you to define the actions that exist between each one of those states and allows you to be able to map them really easily. And what it does is it really gives like a common language between the developers and the designers. So you can say, here are the states you need to account for in the UI and developers, here are the states you need to account for in the actual uh, code portion of it, right? Which I found really, really helpful. So I, I've been recently working in a couple different situations where there's a lot of different forking paths of state and it gets really difficult to maintain really quickly. A really simple example of this is when you have like a multi-page form that you're doing in something like view, right? So if there's ever a situation where you say like, okay, based on the selection of this user, I need to show them conditional fields that they need to fill out. You know what I'm saying? So like if they select this yeah. particular track, then they need to fill out these fields over here. But if they select a different track, yeah. then they need to fill out these other fields over here. And kind of yeah. navigating back and forth between those gets really, really messy. So this, uh, I'll send, we'll put this in the show notes. It's just kind of talking about finite state machines in general. Uh, David Korshid, Korshid, I can't remember. I don't know if that's how to pronounce his name or not. But he's got a really good article basically on why these are a great idea and then provides a NPM package that allows you to essentially define a finite state machine and explains how you can get through the different states and how you perform actions and really just a lot of the logic around it. So I'm still, like I said, I'm still working through it. I don't actually have, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't actually have a complete working understanding of it, but, but as I'm, as I'm looking through this, it makes so much sense and just seems yeah. like it solves a lot of problems that we all deal with whenever we're trying to 
handle these different states. Yeah, it should be good. And and anything that obviously shortcuts the process so that you don't have to reinvent the actual defining of you know how you handle the states, but just say like this state can transition to this state and this state and so on makes things a lot easier. Anytime that you can find something that'll shortcut that process for you makes life so much easier. Yeah, and even just to have a way to map it, right? So like how do I how yeah. do I visually map this? And um, yeah. what are the strategies I can use to very clearly define what these different states are and how I get from one to the other? Mm-hmm. And so because a lot of times what ends up happening is you just kind of start you just kind of start going and then you get to a point where you realize, okay, like I've got a I've got a conditional kind of state here, right? Okay, so I need to handle that. And then you kind of get down that track a little bit further and you you know you come up with some custom solution for how you're gonna do that. You add a couple of Boolean flags and no big deal. And then you realize, yeah. oh, well, if they need to go backwards because they messed up on a previous yep. step. Okay, how do I get back to this? So now you're now you're doing even more kind of crazy stuff. And so just to kind of have a defined path that says, no, no, don't try and reinvent the wheel here. We have a solution to how this needs to work. Here it is. This is, this is how you do this in a sane way. Uh, and then gives you the tools uh, that are tried and true and been used by lots of people in the past to basically say, yeah. this, do this way. This, this is what makes sense, you know? Yep. So pretty awesome. We'll put the we'll put the slides in the in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put the link in there so people can have a look. Maybe we need to have this dude on to talk about this. That would actually be really good. That's I mean that's why we have a podcast, right? We can have people on to talk that's about right. stuff. We, we don't can, just have to try we can, and well, we, that's right. Explain Not interpret their stuff. That's, yeah, exactly. We just invite them on and get them to explain it for us. Exactly. So let's do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to this guy, see if he can yeah. uh, come onto the show and talk to us a little about finite state machines. That'd be pretty cool. You know, some people like you go through read through read through their slides. Yeah. And it's like you you feel like you you have to be watching the talk in order to get anything from it because they're just either yeah. too spaced out or whatever. This dude's slides mm-hmm. are actually like funny <laughs> and super informative. <laughs> so like you you get the punchlines of his jokes and stuff, and nice. like it's it's hit for hit. Like it, it seems like you read through these slides and they're really really well done. So it's a good it's a good uh, slide deck anyway. Go ahead. What were you gonna say though? Yeah, nice. Well, hopefully hopefully we can have him have him on the show next time. Absolutely. Um, I was I was just gonna finish up with two things. Let's do it. Number number one, I did the 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 last of the applications that I used was updated to support macOS Mojave. Yes. So I did that yesterday, and I am as you you wouldn't believe it because all my editor and all of that I use light themes, but I'm I'm rocking the dark mode in Mojave and it looks it looks pretty nice it's uh it's pleasing to the eyes uh so far so good hasn't uh hasn't done anything weird nothing's I mean it's only it's been less than 24 hours and I haven't really been using it that much but the recording has gone well so far so I heard that it wreaks some havoc Uh, with Docker but yeah I just just saw something come up on Twitter that said that there's some issues with Docker for Mac in Mojave so luckily I don't use it on uh on this on my personal machine just at the moment so i won't worry about that for the time being i'm sure they'll get it sorted out reasonably quickly sure sure but yeah, that that all went pretty smoothly i did uh, a fresh installation uh, which went pretty well i had all my all my dot files set up so it was just a matter of running my dot files repo and uh, everything was pretty much up and running in in a couple of hours um, without without too much fuss which was nice the other thing i wanted to talk about briefly is this Maisel framework. Have you heard of it before? Are you talking about the email we, we thing? S- yeah, we spoke about it on uh, the Laravel News podcast. Well, probably I don't know, a month or so ago now. Let's see uh, if I can find it So what it here. Maisel is, is a, 
it's it's based on Jigsaw and Tailwind, and it allows you to essentially build HTML email templates using the Tailwind CSS framework, and it's it's pretty nice. You can build your HTML templates. You can write your markdown to go, you know, as content into those templates. It uses Jigsaw to compile it, and then it will handle all of the processing of the of the html that you write and inline all the styles and do all that kind of stuff that you need to do in order for your your emails to work in as many different clients as possible you still have to write tables upon tables which is a bit finicky but it seems pretty nice the only the only hang up i have is that i want to then take those templates and use them as notifiables inside a laravel application sure yeah so i've got to like build the templates with static content, I then have to generate the HTML and then pick all that up and then copy that into my Laravel application because we wanted to add email notifications into our our service status or our outage notification tool just that we can send emails to our support staff when, when an outage has been scheduled or when an outage has started and finished and things like that. So uh, I, I spent a bit of time on, on Friday going through that and it's and it's gone pretty nicely. Um, as I said, the only real hang-up I have is having to copy and paste all of that rendered HTML back out into another app. I, I don't know if there's a is a better solution for that, but that was kind of the the solution. Uh, the other one that the that the author of the framework suggested is that you can put it into Mailgun as a template and then use their API. Um, Ooh, just I mean, to we fill it in, we won't do that in our instance. What was that? Sorry, just to fill it in, to kind of like provide the blanks to yeah. the Mailgun API. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that works if you're doing transactional email, where you just want to have like dear name and and all that kind of stuff, and then you're just sending the same email. I think it works really well in in that situation. We're doing like completely custom stuff, but the the default stuff that comes with Laravel is nice, but it doesn't really give us the flexibility in terms of. Um, rendering and, and presentation that we wanted for these yeah, things because no, there's quite a lot of detail that goes into them. Yeah, yeah. Because um, if you need something you know, more than like we, markdown, like rendered email templates, right, which are really nice and handy yeah. for when you need something pretty simple and straightforward and that looks good and it renders yeah. well. But if you need anything a little bit more custom than that, you're kind of on your own to do that, which totally makes sense. I mean, Laravel is an email framework, yeah. right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that's but yeah, kind of, so if if you know if you have to generate HTML email. Definitely, we'll link it up in the show notes, but check out Maisel um, and, and you can use that in combination with Tailwind to, to build some pretty nice looking templates. It comes with a couple of examples in terms of what, what you can do with it and how you might lay it out. Um, but yeah, pretty nice, pretty pretty easy to get up and running. So I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd give that a shout out. So then does it do all the inlining for your CSS and all that stuff? So yeah. like when when you render out the HTML email template, it has already done all the inlining and all that stuff for you. Yep. Gotcha. Yep, it's all handled and, for you. Yeah, and so I, I'm reading the docs here and it says Maisel is more like a project than a package. Uh, so you simply yeah. clone the repo on your machine and then you're ready to go. So, so you use it kind of as like the tool that you're going to use to build your HTML emails, which you will then import into your service of choice. Um, in yeah. this case, Laravel, right? Yeah, so I'm doing it in Laravel, but you could put it as as the author had suggested, is to to throw that into Mailgun and you could use it that way. I, I presume you could, you know, put it into MailChimp and MailChimp, things like I'm that sure. as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So That's pretty awesome though. Um, Cos- well, that's, Cos- that's really Cosmin nice. Popovici is his name. 
so he he's responsible for this but yeah as i said i'll link it up in the show notes uh really easy to get up and running uh you just basically follow the instructions install your composer dependencies and then install your npm dependencies and just run npm run watch and it'll do a little browser sync thing so you can refresh as you go and then yeah just just dump out your html when it's finished and using npm run prod it'll strip out all of the things that you don't need so it does um, email specific post-processing it'll inline the styles it'll clean up all of your unused css install tags and inside html attributes it'll you know do code pretty fine minification and it can uglify class names if you want and then you can even specify whether you would if you want to use um, attributes or inline css but yeah it just it all compiles down into html and uh, makes things really really easy if that's, uh, if that's what you want to do so this is yeah, so definitely meta. recommend checking it out if, if that's what you want to do this is so meta because Jigsaw is kind of like inspired by or built uh, kind of using Laravel's blade templating engine. Um, mm-hmm. It has like master layouts and partials and collections and all that stuff, right? And then you have this, which is built using Jigsaw powering, you know, Jigsaw powers this. And then you're using yeah. the output of that to push back into Laravel. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just interesting that like Jigsaw is now being used as like a tool to produce other things. Uh, Jigsaw is just mm. so freaking awesome as well. I mean, because it, because it's producing static flat files, uh, it totally makes sense. Like, why would you reinvent the wheel on that? Like, it already does all that for you. Um, yep. Pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Do we have anything else or is that it? No, I think that's it. Successful. A successful podcast. All right. We are going to try and get this guy on the next show. David Korshid. <laughs> 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 Maybe you should send me his name so I, I can try him. Here, hold on. He's a pianist and a web developer. Pianist from Orlando, Flowrider. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He just casually works at Microsoft. This yeah, would be a great go. guy to have on the on the podcast. He would be. He would be excellent to have on the, on the podcast. All right, we're doing it. All right, yeah. Get in touch with him. See if he's uh, interested in in coming on the next show, and we can and we can talk about it. Sounds good, man. We're gonna make it happen. All right. No worries. Excellent. All right, man. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening to the, another episode of the North Meet South web podcast. Uh, if you'd like to show us for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 48. Is it 48? Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Mm-hmm. If you like the show, please feel free to rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be appreciated. If you have questions, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob and at Michael Dorinda. We always love hearing from, from everybody. And hopefully next time we'll be talking to Mr. David K about state machines. That'd be awesome. All right, everyone. We will catch you next time. See you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Hey, and thanks to everyone for coming back to us. Even though we've been on hiatus for such a long time, we had a, a pretty good listenership last episode. So we thank you to everyone who either returned to the show or or listened to us for the first time. So I know there was someone out there, they, they tweeted to us to say that they had gone through a backlog of not only our podcast but a couple of other podcasts which was a tremendous feat and we appreciate your effort for sure <laughs> all right everybody sounds good see you in a couple of weeks thanks again bye see you bye